Thank you for tuning in to CIO Speaks with host Steve Ginsberg. If you enjoy this episode, please check out the other episodes in this series and go to gigaohm.com to find more of Steve's research and insights. Hi, I'm Steve Ginsberg. My guest today is Mark Thiel, an expert in enterprise data center strategy and operations, cloud and edge computing. In this episode, we'll get Mark's take on what edge really means and how enterprises should be viewing both the challenge and the opportunity. Mark, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Steve. So we've talked a lot about the uh, multiple definitions of edge. How do you look at the terminology? Yeah, I, I think the um, the simple reality around edge is that it it means all things to all people, and and rightfully so, right? So if I'm if I'm in the data center community, edge to me is what kind of data center do I build and how close can I get that data center to um, more people from a latency standpoint or the right kind of um, buying audience uh, from a latency standpoint from a, from a user of the edge, right? So the complete other side of that coin is, am I using the edge because I need, um, or am I benefiting from the edge because I'm using some content that's been staged there or am I benefiting from the edge because I'm able to do some uh, quick analytics off real-time data uh, coming off of some drones or coming off of uh, facial recognition or something like that. And then, you know, from a, so uh, again, within that, the gamut of opportunity of what the edge could be uh, uh, runs any number of a hundred different scenarios. And so, I, you know, the way I like to picture or, or frame the edge environment is that it's in effect, um, cost-effective ability to deliver um, high, what's the word I want to put there, um, high-quality experience for the customer um, wherever the customer happens to be, right? So it, it could be that uh, the customer is, is 50 milliseconds away, and for that solution, that's the edge, that's fine. But for solutions that benefit from having low latency, 10 milliseconds, five milliseconds, whatever it happens to be, then that's potentially the edge. Uh, but what is successful is what you can provision that supports that solution uh, cost-effectively. In other words, it has a return on investment, right? And, and with that, you mentioned drones, for example. What applications do you think are really moving to edge locations today? Yeah, it's it's interesting. There are um, a wide range of uh, applications that I've seen people. I mean, I've seen people deliver uh, applications um, on basically application distribution networks, where they're um, putting applications in containers and distributing them out based on a, a preset determination of latency and failover capability, et cetera. And those applications could be almost anything that we would benefit from lower latency or some form of data sovereignty or privacy or something like that. And, and then I've seen, uh, you know, I mentioned drones. Uh, one example that I actually worked directly with was uh, somebody was trying to run drones over, uh, or uh, wanted the ability to run drones over almost anywhere in the country, but they wanted to extend the distance and coverage and provide for better real-time analytics of what was seen and how it was interpreted uh, in order to make patterns more efficient and identification more quickly of 
subject matter, whether that subject was a stolen vehicle or uh, a loose animal or a runaway child, whatever it happened to be. And so the, the combination of the edge network, along with localized um, uh, ability to store and process data and provide feedback from video, allowed for people to uh, coordinate drones over long distances um, while maximizing their patterns for search and uh, not guaranteeing, but virtually guaranteeing that they didn't show replicated data or um, mismatched data. In, in other words, identify things that in fact weren't being searched for. Wow, that's that's really exciting to be able to use it to uh, assist in a kind of emergency situations. Uh, I'm wondering in that situation, it sounds like there would be centralized data in the cloud and then localized data where needed. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, I mean, the I think one of the hardest problems for the edge, and you and I might have even had this conversation before, but I think one of the hardest problems for the edge will be um, how to take the data and how to keep it and how much of it to, to use uh, in real time locally versus how much of it to send upstream and whether that should be batched or sent continuously. Uh, I think over time we'll get smarter at it, either that or we'll um, get just get bigger pipes and, and deal with it the way we've always done uh, managing data, which is just get bigger hard drives and more space and, and keep it all. But um, you know, realistically, the the there is a, a huge opportunity still from a problem sol solving standpoint to help customers that are attempting to deploy at the edge govern um, uh, how they keep and um, and uh, uh, identify data that's created at the edge. How do you think about the unevenness of the likely rollout of edge? Uh, with what I'm alluding to is obviously in cities, it's likely as we have seen in the past uh, and in certain areas in the country like Ashburn, Virginia, you're, you're going to continue to see more data center and more data center locations, even uh, smaller edge locations. There, 5G, I think, you know, will will be a part of that. But in kind of the in America, for example, in the middle of the country, it's not that likely, I think, that you're going to end up with edge data centers every five miles, for example. Will applications be as useful given the unevenness, unevenness of edge? Yeah, well, there's so there's two different ways to look at that unevenness, Stephen, and I'll, or Steve, sorry. And I'll talk about the, 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 or respond to the question as you answered it first, and then maybe we can expand on that a little bit. But um, from, from the perspective that you've um, pointed to, I would say it'll it'll follow a natural progression that most IT solutions do um, that are dependent on on volume of um, users in order to provide justification for use, right? And where there's the most demand and the most existing infrastructure, uh, there's the higher uh, opportunity for return. Um, what's likely to happen? And so, you know, in other words, uh, bigger cities, uh, urban areas are more likely to benefit from more edge-oriented services more quickly. But that being said, as services become uh, routinely deployed in cities and as edge technologies become, uh, for lack of a better description, more routine in how they're defined and how they're deployed, then more of those solutions will become justified in smaller communities, right? Their scale drives down price. Um, their, the known value of opportunity per person becomes more real because they can trend the data. 
And uh, those things mean that over time, more of them will be extended out to uh, more rural communities. But, you know, that being said, that unfortunately, there's no s- simple answer. I was just at my brother and sister-in-law's place in small town of Roundup, Montana. Um, and they actually live about 14 miles outside of the town of Roundup. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had zero cell phone coverage while I was there. And the best Internet they can get is ISDN. Uh, so, you know, it, unfortunately, um, as good as we're getting with the distribution of technology, there will continue to be the haves, the have-nots, and the have-laters. Yeah. How do you advise that um, enterprises go about architecting for edge? So, obviously, you mentioned uh, access time as a, a key concern, and you alluded to containerization as well. How do you look at the whole picture? Yeah, I think from a from a traditional edge standpoint, I mean, the way, again, you know, every time we talk about edge, one or more of us are going to make an assumption about about who's listening and 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 why what we're saying is appropriate at the time. And so when we talk about edge, uh, the way we've been talking about it, we're, we're talking more of general access to a broad audience, uh, generic audience or end user type audience. But for the enterprise, edge could also be um, providing more services per campus, right, per office building, uh, per location of customers, in this case, customers being employees. And so there's there are uh, an enormous number of additional opportunities to do that now uh, that don't require, in many cases, you know, fancy technology like deploying 5G or something like that, but are effectively prepackaged extensions of, of modern day cloud environments. There are uh, opportunities coming from each of the three big cloud providers in North America, there are independent ones uh, that are able to offer a cloud stack that potentially even abstract some of the centralized cloud services so that you can run those in your individual data centers and in effect run them on um, existing hardware or in other cases um, like um, with uh, uh, Outpost from Amazon in theory when it becomes available it might be a prepackaged stack but there'll be a lot more opportunities for that kind of edge in the enterprise. Now, over and above that though, if if my assumptions about the direction of technology use and, and the underlying focus of what edge is sort of a, a symptom of, it's a symptom of, of, of the opportunity and, de- and demands behind business or digital transformation. And the real demand in my from my perspective behind digital transformation and business transformation beyond some basic benefits of efficiency and speed of delivery and and things like that, maybe supply chain improvement, et cetera, et cetera, integration with customer or or with partners better is really the theme of a better customer experience and more customer intimacy. And it, it, I think, and and I, I could be wrong, but I think it just seems pretty obvious that if you can deliver more capability into the hands of your customer, um, whether you sell paper towels for a living or sell cell phones for a living or something in between, or even all of the above like Amazon, um, then your ability to provide the customer with a better interaction um, and to gain greater intimacy with them through that interaction, uh, I believe is, has got to be the end result for almost every company as they struggle with becoming um, technology companies and and attempting to exploit that to get a better uh, connection with their customer. Yeah, I I think a lot of uh, uh, agreeing with that focus. 
a lot of the way I tend to think about it is being a bit analogous to when we saw the move to Google Maps with Ajax technology and more and more was just happening at the user level. You know, it was happening in the browser uh, versus all these calls having to go back to farms to, to provide that data. Right, right. Uh, I'm wondering if you uh, would like to tell us a little bit about uh, some of the companies that you work with as an advisor or also as an employee. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a few of the companies that I work with that uh, both on purpose and by accident uh, are potentially um, very interesting for Edge. Um, I work a lot as an advisor with um, uh, a company called Rack N. Uh, CEO and founder is Rob Hirschfeld. And, you know, for, a com- for an organization that might want to um, continue to maintain its own infrastructure or even some of its own infrastructure and to be able to exploit um, other provider resources um, as necessary or take best advantage of the, the heterogeneous resources they own internally, his capability, his software capability allows for that um, uh, per, uh, reprovisioning and um, patching and automated management of infrastructure environments, deployment of new capacity, et cetera, that provides better security, provides more rapid rollout, more consistency, uh, thereby more resiliency, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so that to me, uh, uh, you could argue that that's good anywhere. It's good in hyperscale. It's good in in a in a in a restaurant that's got a rack in the back corner. Um, but when you think about the deployment of, uh, and some companies will do this, the deployment of infrastructure in many locations to try to attract access to uh, end customers then having improved remote capabilities that um, allow you to stay fresh without taking you know, two or three weeks just to get operating systems patched against a, a, a new security threat, uh, that in and of itself is a huge opportunity. So that's one reason why I work with Rackin and why I like them. I've been spending a lot of time with a company called Selecular, um, and these guys are doing some fantastic work in helping to uh, to provide AI as a means to get more value out of the capital expenditures and including the op expenditures that you have in your data center. So the ability to to use power in Iraq more effectively and use your space more effectively, potentially using fewer servers and less power, even at a minimum, it's the potential opportunity to delay the expense and the trauma of expanding a data center or building a new one, um, and at a maximum, it's uh, you know it's it's saving uh, both time and money uh, in any or all of your locations in a real way. And then um, another one I'm looking at a company called Adept uh, DC uh, is using some AI technologies to help find root cause in um, failure environments, et cetera. So all of these technologies and more to me are uh, indicative of, you know, what we just kind of have to do if we're going to be able to effectively exploit an edge environment, because the one thing that I believe, and I think Steve, you and I even talked about this um, is that what I, what I have to believe to be true is that we cannot assume that anything we're doing the way we're doing today is extensible to the edge, right? So application design, the use of containers, the use of functions as a service, 
the use of automation, the use of automated um, remote access, uh, the ability for self-healing, the ability to fail in place, all of these things, you know, times two, times 10, however you want to say it, um, are going to be uh, required in spades uh, uh, when we're talking about edge deployments. Yeah, very much agree. You know, and I think you and I see this uh, in very similar terms, which is, you know, today there are multiple edges and there will continue to be. It's it, In some ways, it's just about how close do you move to your customers? And you pointed out, well, that distinction could be the business's customers or internal customers like employees or uh, contractors uh, or other kind of factory locations, for example. Um, right. But in its larger uh, implication, the edge means moving from maybe for some companies, a few data centers, if even that, to hundreds of data center locations or even thousands or hundreds of thousands of locations. And therefore this whole wave of how do I remotely manage and automate uh, basically everything uh, yep. becomes really critical. Yeah, I mean, Steve, uh, you know, to, if you don't mind me expanding on it for just a little bit longer. No, please. Um, I just, I'd like to leave, you know, whoever's listening to this and, and believes this is of any value at all, you know, it's a, a point that I think is really urgently required. And I don't see a lot of people thinking this way is that the, a, a lot of us continue to look at what the edge will become based on what we assume we can extend from what we do today, right? And so to explain that a little bit more, I talked a little bit about that in my previous points, but the assumption most people have is, is, is just at the highest level, oh, it's, you know, it's too expensive to do it that way. It's much more cost-effective to just deploy in the public cloud. Um, and okay, under what circumstances? Well, you know, if, if I have to deploy a thousand instances in um, edge data centers and I've got to go to a um, hundred cities and deploy 10 instances in every city and I've got to acquire a server and have support and, and, and contract with a co-location company or whatever it is, then it's going to be 10 times as expensive to run those as it would to put all that into public cloud locations. Okay, first problem is, if you needed that, then the two public cloud locations won't solve your problem. But second of all, if you continue to assume that the paradigm that you've used to solve the problem in a centralized way is how you will extend that to solve it at the edge, then yes, you're right. It won't work. It will be too cost uh, ineffective. And so you have to think about the problem in another way. Is where can you borrow? Where can you share? Where can you lease where you would have bought? Um, where can you uh, uh, multi-tenant with partners or friends? Uh, where could you look at um, uh, uh, more automation? Where could you look at a different CPU set to program against? The list goes on and on. And it's I think those companies that can exploit the capabilities of somebody, some of the companies we've already talked about um, and others in the market and can get ingenious ingenuous about looking at how they would own and operate their own infrastructure in new ways, as opposed to just throwing more people and hardware at the problem, I think have a real opportunity to um, position themselves out in front of their competition. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for, for companies who want to be brave and smart about it, there'll be lots of opportunities. And for companies who are more conservative about it, I think 
companies, if you talk to the folks at Packet, for example, and, and others, there'll be virtual platforms that will do a lot of this for enterprises who won't consider this their specialty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How do you see uh, 5G fitting into all this? Yeah, I mean, 5G is, is an enormous enabler, right? There are a significant number of technologies that are available today to distribute edge capability. Um, hell, like, like one of the companies I was talking about is a company called Refay Systems uh, that can distribute uh, applications based on a latency policy um, to multiple locations around the world uh, via containers. So you code into one of their containers and it's Docker compliant and you send it out. Um, uh, and, you know, swim.ai, uh, um, which um, allows for uh, using data right at the edge. And in, in, even though they can collect terabytes in a day, they only use and keep megabytes uh, of that data as they manage uh, trend analysis uh, that's, that's uh, can plan for five minutes ahead on um, the frequency of or the speed of change and timing of change of streetlights and, and stoplights and intersections across the city potentially speeding access for companies like Uber or Lyft to get across the city or Fed, FedEx or uh, UPS or something like that. So the, a lot of those technologies are available that don't necessarily require 5G. But I do believe that there are enormous number of opportunities to extend um, some really, really interesting um, user experience options uh, to the edge. And uh, you know, user experience sounds like it's all fluff, but it's not, right? I mean, there was a recent story about um, someone using 5G, uh, a doctor using 5G specifically, uh, to do a surgery from 3,000 kilometers away. And um, using um, any other existing um, connectivity method likely would not have worked um, in that scenario. Um, but there are, you know, potentially tens of thousands of, everybody talks about, um, you know, automated um, vehicles or um, fleets, uh, um, the, the amount of data that will be collected in smart cities and will need to be, um, you know, shipped and managed more effectively. Uh, I, you know, I talked recently, I didn't talk to them directly. I was talking to the team that was working with them, uh, um, a stadium, uh, uh, looking at how 5G could solve for, providing real-time video on all sides of the stadium that didn't show delay between when uh, a footballer kicked the ball and when the action was displayed on any or all of the screens. Um, and then, you know, you think about that same stadium becoming a smart stadium and potentially having, uh, you know, 500,000 to a million sensors, IoT devices just in that stadium on top of having 50 or 60,000 customers in the stadium at any one point in time that are all using some form of data, whether it's their Fitbit or their watch or their phone or some combination of the above. And you get to realize that our existing uh, environments of LTE, which have already failed in those situations, would be so overburdened as to become completely worthless. So yeah, I've had some good conversations about the stadium and I, I think it's not provoking in and of itself. And I yeah. think it gave me uh, maybe a little insight of, of at least a profile, which, you know, as you mentioned, obviously, you know, high, high demand and sort of multiple uh, access, multiple technologies wanting to, uh, there's a need to use multiple technologies in the same place. And I guess the other thing I would say is a highly financed environment. 
So it's an area where they can invest and it's essentially set up a data center at the stadium where multiple carriers, the telcos will want to be there. The ATTs, Verizon, Sprints of the world will want to be installed there to provide. And then obviously there's a application, there's a, enough kind of financial uh, interest from the customers and the sponsors to get applications written for that high density environment. That's right. That's right. You mentioned smart cities. Uh, I'm curious how you see that playing out from what you've seen so far. Yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to say. Um, but uh, smart cities have a significant number of opportunities. Of course, everything from being able to manage uh, traffic patterns better to um, to parking to uh, informing people that are entering the cities of of what's going on um, in what part of the city, whether the surfs up or or the um, the uh, ethnic food party in in one part of town um, is is uh, happening and and whether the it's crowded or not. So there's you know there's any one of a million different opportunities for um, uh, exploiting uh, a smart city. But I think I think realistically it will start uh, much more mundane. It'll start around things like. Um, more efficient delivery of services, more efficient management of things like um, water and um, uh, even irrigation for um, keeping uh, flower beds watered and things like that, uh, to light management, to um, to intersection management, et cetera. I think those are all likely first steps. And then as those become successful and well understood and, and hopefully secure, um, you begin to get better opportunities to integrate with more of the city's inhabitants, you know, and integrate with homes and integrate with offices and really kind of the sky's the limit. I mean, it's to me, frankly, it's both um, really interesting to think about what it might mean to be living in a city that you're literally connected to. Um, and it's scary at the same time. Yeah, I agree. And have had some similar conversations about, you know, one might not think of a smart parking lot as being an exciting uh, edge uh, opportunity to use 5G and that type of thing. But as you pointed out, it's a great starting place for a community to get an idea of what would it like, what it, would it be like to make that digital and to get that integrated in our environment and then to move on to the next projects from there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. How about uh, smart buildings? Have you seen anything there? That's that's one of the use cases that I thought was ra rather interesting. And uh, like a lot of them, it's, it seems to me kind of evolution of things that were already in place, right? You've already got a, an air conditioning system with a timer. One could call that a smart building, but then things kind of progress from there. Yeah, I mean, the, the smart buildings are really kind of fascinating. And to be honest, I feel like even though I may know, uh, you know, as much or more than the average audience member, I feel like I'm still a novice. Um, but as I've as I've looked at examples or or you know dove in here and there to do a little bit of research, uh, it's really fascinating how many opportunities each layer of of intelligence, each layer of visibility potentially provides. Right. So um, how people move through the building um, uh, could be important in a number of ways. As one thing, right. So. Uh, how people move through the building could dictate planning for where elevators are. It could dictate for planning for how the air conditioning moves. It could dictate um, where staff members should be. It could actually be an indicator of where staff are wasting too much time because of their travel patterns or because 
Um, you know, they have to go to a same destination a lot, but they don't take very much with them when they go, you know, something stupid. It could be anything. Um, to tying that information to a security system, to providing um, root or not root, but preventative analysis of equipment throughout the facilities to have a better understanding of, of when a, a, an air conditioner might be in need of repair to when an elevator might be um, starting to cause problems, uh, to providing real-time um, feedback from customers as they experience aspects of the building. Uh, I mean, the, the, seriously, Steve, the list just goes on and on. I mean, I think, um, frankly, I think you and I won't recognize um, a smart building when we finally get into one um, as a traditional building, uh, you know, five or six years from now. I mean, yeah, the, the opportunities are immense. That's some thought-provoking stuff about how, how it might evolve. With all this, we've kind of covered a lot, and maybe as a, a final question to wrap it up, how would you advise enterprises to be planning for these changes? Yeah, I mean, first of all, technology is not the answer, right? I mean, technology might um, uh, solve a problem for you or create an opportunity for you, but you have to define what the need is first, right? And and we all love to chase the latest shiny thing. Um, and I sympathize. I'm an IT guy. I, I love to get my hands on the, the biggest drives and the fastest servers and the, the biggest fiber channel array and... and um, putting in more virtualization and building cloud and data center. I loved all that stuff, no denying it. But um, Edge is a perfect example where it'd be really easy to overextend yourself um, if you don't have a really clear vision for what the why is for pursuing the activity in the first place. So, and if you're, if you're not sure what Mark means when he says what the why is, I could try to give you a definition, but I think I would butcher um, what Simon Sinek has done so well, I would urge you to go out on YouTube and take a look at Simon Sinek and look at what, how he defines, you know, identifying the why for any project. And I think that that, that little step, as it may seem, is vital because you'll, if you have the right why, the bottom line is today, in my mind, you can find the technology to solve the problem. So you don't need to spend a lot of time now going out and searching for technology and, and then attempting to create a problem to solve. You know, find the why and then find the technology. It's there and partners, they're there. About really connecting to the business value or the additional value of a project before you, before you go down that path. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I uh, really appreciate the uh, discussion and uh, thank you for joining me. No, thank you, Steve. I appreciate the invite. I hope to do it again soon. Take care. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode of CIO Speaks, please check out the other episodes in this series. Optimizing network interconnection in the changing cloud landscape is the focus of a new report called Connecting Clouds that Steve wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how IT leaders and organizations are overcoming challenges in the evolving cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.